I love her voice. I could listen to that voice all day and all night. And, and whenever I'm awake or whenever I'm asleep. <laughs> you didn't figure it out, it's my wife and she's in this service. So if you wanna hear me say something more, come to the second service. Hey, good morning, everyone. So glad you're here and chosen to be with us today. We're going to be sharing in communion in a little bit. And so if you're on site, if you're on our campus or North Avenue campus, if you haven't gotten your communion cup, you can do that at any point in time in the next couple of minutes. And we'll be having communion towards the end of the service. For those who are watching at home, um, I'll give you some time to get ready as well. But I have a couple things for you. Just before we get into the word, a couple updates that I want to share with you. Um, In the past couple of weeks, I have not been here. I've been at our national uh, gathering. Had a family wedding first and then our national gathering. Happens every two years. This happened in Nashville but a week ago. And I want to give you just a quick report from that as this is a huge gathering. uh, 2,600 people on site. Another 1,000 watching online. And this is every two years our denomination comes together and charts direction and and where we're going to head and some of those things. I just want to share a couple of things with you um, from that. It was an incredible week of ministry. The theme was called sacred. I was in a meeting following, um, it's called council, our annual council. I was in a meeting following council with our president. And uh, by the way, John Stumble was the president of our denomination. He was just reelected for his last term, which would be another four years. I serve on the executive committee uh, of our denomination. So I have two more years in my term and then I'm, uh, I'm termed out. But you need to know that I am able to sit on this board of directors. There are 28 of us that oversee the entire denomination. I will say it's an honor for me to serve there. It's been an honor. It's one of the great joys of my life to be able to serve our church and our denomination in that way. I was just recently elected as well to serve on our executive committee of our denomination, which would be uh, the, the highest level of oversight. And it's always been a joy to do that. Sitting with Dr. Stumbo as he was just reelected, I shared this with him. I said, you know, it's a risky thing to go into a a gathering, a council with the title sacred. The theme for the week was sacred. Uh, Two years ago, you choose a theme and begin to plan. And a year and a half to two years ago, you choose the theme sacred. And you have no idea at the end of the week whether you will have had a sacred moment or not. You know, certainly you can say every gathering we get together is a sacred moment, but clearly it was a sacred time, an incredible time of worship. There were some that would come to the gathering to bring some dissension uh, in our denomination, like any other group. We're always making some changes and looking at statement of faith issues and some of those things. And in our culture today, we're in a culture of dissension. Uh, One of our pastors said kind of clearly, he said, you know, if I go back to my church and put a vote up tomorrow, whether they want me or not, 30% will probably vote me out simply because of the culture in which we live in. And so you walk into a moment like that, there could be dissension, but there was none. It was just a sweet spirit as we worshiped together and spent time. And the picture you just saw, have you put that picture back up, was the highlight of our time. The highlight of our entire week together was that we commissioned, if I can have that picture put back on the screen, uh, Booth, that'd be great. Um, the picture that, that we're, you're seeing there is actually the commissioning of 50 uh, IMs, international workers, IWs, I should say, 50 international workers. These are people that for years have been getting ready to go overseas, and we are commissioning them to go out as missionaries around the world. Now, you can't see it perhaps quite as well, but if you'll notice, everyone has masks masks on. Now, you might think 
that they have masks because of COVID. Which you can't quite tell, in this room of 2,600 people, there were no masks. Uh, we were not wearing masks, they were optional. But everyone on stage had a mask, and you'd be making a mistake if you think that they're masked because of COVID. COVID was a convenient reason and the way to do this, but every one of those people have a mask on their face, and here's why. Because we're putting them on a screen where the whole world could see. If you could, you could watch that service online. And every one of them were masked because every one of those 50 people are being sent to creative access countries, which means they're going to places where they can be at risk if people knew who they were. And so they're masked so that anyone who could be watching would not know their identity as these 50 people are saying yes to Jesus Christ and are going to go around the world to places where the gospel is restricted and where people don't hear unless there are people willing to take that risk. That's why I am glad to be a part of our denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We are a small denomination that has committed itself to being the group, one of the groups, that is willing to go to the least reached peoples of the world and to take that risk and send them there. When you give money towards our Great Commission Fund, that's where it's headed. We've made a commitment to make sure that at least 10% of all of our income that comes into our church goes out to this fund. Why? Because we want to be a part of sending missionaries and sending Christians, believers, into the toughest places in the world. You get to be a part of that. It was a, it was a great week and uh, an incredible time. And I just want to give you that quick report. Final word is our, our denominational headquarters is moving. Uh, it's been in Colorado Springs for 20 plus years and uh, we are leaving Colorado Springs just outside of uh, Pikes Peak and uh, looking over at the Air Force Academy and just the most beautiful scenery ever uh, you, you could imagine. We're moving to Reynoldsburg, Ohio. <laughs> just outside of Columbus. And I did a visit there at the old uh, empty Kmart that we just bought that are going to tear down. And you see a lot of differences between looking at the Pikes Peak and looking at the old Kmart. Why are we doing that? It'll be complete as far as the move will virtually be 95% complete by the end of summer. Uh, most of our staff who are making the move have already made the move to Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Why is that? number of quick reasons. One, we're very isolated in Colorado Springs. We're in this little uh, a section where our, our office is at is a complex where uh, the, tr the, the community never gets in there. I mean, you drive up to the, the uh, complexes that are up there and all the business centers. Um, we're isolated, not much ethnic diversity. Um, and one of the key pieces is that we don't have the chance to live missionally. The uh, property that's been bought for our denomination has been, brought, been paid for in cash so far, all by outside gifts. So mon no money that's come in to go to missions is being taken from that. Every dollar from outside gifts. And the eventual plan is to have a, our national office right in the middle of a main thoroughfare in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, where we'd have a national office, yes, but other things we would have is coffee shops, uh, restaurants, those kind of things that in turn would do two things. One, would create some revenue so that every dollar that comes in from those takes care of running an office. So all the money comes in for missions, goes overseas. Very few organizations are doing that. That's one of our goals. Second goal is we want to be a part of the fabric of that community. 
Uh, we want people from the street to be able to walk in, have coffee in a coffee shop, not even know they're getting freshly brewed roasted beans from a group of, of believers that are there to make a difference in that community. And the town of Reynoldsburg, Ohio has just opened their arms to us, found us grant money, all of those things because they see what difference the church can make in the area. So that's the update. A lot of things taking place in our denomination. We get to be a part of it. Second thing I want to uh, just say to you real quickly is I got a report from Paul and Joan Chamberlain that all the sweet corn has been planted for this year's corn roast, which is going to take place this September. So last year we didn't have a corn roast, of course. Uh, we did, but we, you picked up your own corn here. Be, be thinking now that the corn's planted. It's coming, coming along and we'll be having a corn roast together. So make sure you make that plan. Last thing, let me give you a quick story as an introduction into our, our uh, communion time. I'm in Tennessee. Our conference was in, ten in Tennessee, Nashville. I had one free day because of the committees I serve on. I'm in, I'm in meetings quite, quite a bit during that time. I have a free day, and have free dinner. I have a car. I go out to the front and I, I don't want to go to a tourist place. I want to go real places. So I grab one of the oldest bellmen that are there. They, you go, go by age. Don't go by the young kids. They don't, they, don't have, they don't have a clue where to tell you to go eat or whatever. So I get a guy, looks like he's been there for a while. I go, hey, listen, I want to go experience Tennessee. I want a Tennessee meal. I said, I'm not looking for a high end. I'm just, I, want to, I want to come out of there feeling like I've, I've been in, in Tennessee, eating with folks from Tennessee. He goes, farmers, got to go farmers, farmers smorgasbord. First of all, it had the word smorgasbord, which is immediately a winner. So I went, okay, <laughs> tell me more. He goes, it's going to be about a 30-mile ride. You got to go north. It, don't be put off by it. It's going to be in a strip mall. It looks pretty run down, but you're going to get good food. You're going to feel like you're in Tennessee. I go, okay, 30-minute ride. Here I go. So I take off. I, I make my drive. I pull in, and sure enough, it looks pretty beat up. But a lot of cars out front. I walk in. The place looks like it seats maybe 200 people, probably a hundred and quarter of them, you know, 125 people in there. The walls have been made to look like a cabin, meaning that split wood type of pine. So, and it's fairly large, but it looks pretty old, pretty beat up and clean, but pretty rough. And so there are a couple of buffet stations and I'm in line with this, this I say elderly couple, but good night. You know, they, they look older than me. Put it that way. Um, <clears throat> And uh, they're having this, we're talking this conversation and I sit down at my table, get seated, they're over on theirs and pretty soon she comes over, she says, what are you doing sitting here by yourself? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. I said, I'm good. She, you're not sitting by yourself, you're gonna eat with us. I said, no, I'm really good. I said, I'm just gonna eat and run. I'm in and out and I got 30 mile drive. He said, are you sure? I go, I'm absolutely sure. Well, you change your mind, you come over. I, I, you know, they're, you know, waving a herald over there. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll be right over. So we get, then I'm sitting down. The next woman comes up. She's taking my order. She says, what would you like to drink? And I said, I'm going to have uh, tea, please. Yes, sir. Sweet tea. And I, I went, oh, no, no, no sweet tea. What do you mean no sweet tea? <laughs> I said, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like sweet tea. Who doesn't like sweet tea? <laughs> I said, well, no, no. I mean, I don't, I don't care for sweet tea. Well, you've never had our tea. I said, you know, it was so you know, she's smiling. I know she went out in a fight fight, but it's kind of like, well, I'll bet your tea's the best tea ever, but I don't like anything sweet. Well, I'll see if we can find tea. I doubt we even have tea. <laughs> she comes back with a cup of tea, glass of tea. It's the best tea I've ever tasted. Not sweet tea, regular tea. And they have tea. I said, you had tea all along. Oh yeah, but we know you're not from here. So we just give you a hard time. Okay. I go get my food, 
and I see there's a couple of trays that are empty, that, that there's nothing in them, and there's a woman standing there, and from the side, and kind of right behind her, she looks like she's probably 40-ish, long dyed red hair, uh, slender. She turns around, I realize she's probably 75. <laughs> she's been there for a long time. And I said, hey, excuse me. I said, are these something in these are going to be? She says, oh, yeah, it'll be there. She said, uh, uh, we, have, we have some steak and we got some scallops and we got some things. You're going to like them. And we got some collard greens and then can you stick, stick with the steaks and the scallops? And, and I said, when do they come out? She said, oh, they'll be out here five o'clock. I said, oh, what time is it? I said, what time is it now? She goes, oh, don't you worry. You won't miss it because we pray for dinner. I, I, thought, I thought she said we pray before dinner, but I wasn't sure. I went back and I sat down, eating my salad, five o'clock. I'm watching my, my phone, five o'clock. Sure enough, she stands in the middle of the restaurant. Can I have your attention, please? Everybody be quiet. The PA system not working, so you're going to have to listen to me. <clears throat> Everybody goes quiet. And some, one table wasn't, and she waited for them. She said, I said, be quiet. You know, and everybody's going, stop it. You're putting their stuff down. She goes, so we like to say grace here. We're going to say prayers for dinner. She said, we got some steak up here and some scallops. I got some collard greens and you're going to like all those. But before we eat them, we're going to say, pray, we're going to pray for dinner. So she prays. She prays an incredible prayer. I mean, this was not your rote thing, you know, God is good, God is great. You know, this was like, this is like any, any church on Sunday. She thanks the Lord for all his provision, for all of his goodness, for all of his care. Praise for our soldiers, praise for our frontline workers. And I mean, an incredible prayer and everyone's quiet. And she gets winding down and she says, now, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this food. And everybody who plans on eating it said... And the whole place goes, amen. Everybody cries, shouts, amen. And I was a little slow on the trigger. I was like, oh, amen. You know, I don't want to be singled out in this place. I found out later that, I, I don't know how long they prayed, but clearly they had been closed for COVID. And they had been reopened since COVID. And since that time, at least, they pray for dinner every night. And this woman every night. Wants, and wants to remind everybody. They're not all believers in there. Please know. Some will think, oh, it's got to be Republican country or Democrat country. Well, hungry people, yes. Very good food. I mean, just all seasoned well. Some pretty breaded. But they had this heart of saying, you know, God, here we are. We're going to share in communion in just a couple of minutes. And I want to remind you that as we gather together, we do so again to say, Lord, here we are by your grace and by your mercy. Not only are we here together, but by your grace and by your mercy, do we celebrate communion together. In a couple of moments, we'll do that. We're going to share in communion. But to get you ready for that, I want to set the stage for you and give you some understanding, perhaps, that I know many of us will know, but for some, I'll be, I hopefully will be able to put this in a context that you'll grab a hold of really how important communion is and the meaning of it. Years ago, I, I was reading and studying for some communion messages, kind of getting them ready, and, and came across some of these thoughts and, and some of this history, and I want to share that with you as we prepare ourselves for communion. If you're at home this morning and you're, and you're watching, and we're going to be sharing communion, you can get yourself ready as well. We have our own little cups here you picked in when you came in, but at home, you may have to scramble a little bit. Uh, you may have to grab some bread or some crackers or whatever else you might have. In a pinch, I guess pancakes and syrup would work. <laughs> Um, 
But, please hear this, because it would work because it doesn't matter what's in your hand, right? It matters what's in your heart. And that's the heart here of what we'll talk about this morning as we get ready for communion. Now, as a church, we're here for our worship service. We have our weekly worship service together. And I'm sure you know what worship means. At the heart of it is this idea of the uh, dictionary definitions pretty straightforward. It means to recognize or to prize something because of its worth. And that's where we get worship from, worth-ship. That's the picture. We recognize something's worth or something's value. Now, what's interesting, if you go back and look at history, you will find that almost from the beginning of time, ancient peoples all worshipped. Not almost, from the beginning of time, ancient peoples worshipped. Why? Well, we're wired to worship. I mean, from the beginning of creation, you find that we are worshipers. We were wired to, to worship. And it makes sense. If we're created, we understand that we didn't create ourselves, that there's someone bigger than us and someone more powerful than us. And it kind of already has this instinctive sense that if I'm created, there is a creator and I should be worshiping that creator because certainly he's worthy of our worship. And you know the story. Go back to Genesis. You know the story that creation happens and we're put in this beautiful place with no sin. Adam and Eve decide they're going to play God. They represent us pretty well, by the way. They represent us pretty well because that's our heart as well. We all want to be our own little God. And so they rebel and sin comes into the world. And if you go back and look from that point forward, you'll find the ancient peoples all continued to worship, even though they had rejected, many of them rejected God, the only true God. So what took place over time is they created all of these other gods to worship. And when I say gods in plural, I'm talking about little g, not the living God, but they all created these little gods that they would worship because there's this, this sense inside of us to worship. And of course, they, off they go in different paths for this kind of worship. In fact, not only would they worship but these gods, but they began to get into this relationship with all these little gods where these gods, they saw these gods as responsible for everything happening in their life. Go back and read all the ancient texts and in the history books of ancient people and they began to view these gods as being very, very important because these gods controlled their whole lives. They began to fear these gods and began to think about how do I please these gods because I, I'm dependent upon them. People would instinctively think that these gods have to be kept happy. These gods that we worship, they have to be, they have to be appeased. They have to be at the very center of all that we are because everything that happens in our lives comes from them. They determine the outcome. They had worshiped multiple gods and they worshiped these gods in the hopes that their lives would be better. I mean, that makes sense, right? They worshiped these gods in hopes that their lives would be better and that bad things wouldn't happen. They looked for the gods for rain, for their, for their crops to grow. They looked for the gods for victory in battle. They looked for the gods to have favor on them so they could have children. They looked to the gods for success. They prayed to the gods for their health or whatever it might be. And it, it, when they would plant a harvest, if, if, a, if, a, if a pestilence would come, if, if a locusts would come and eat it, somehow they've, been, they've harmed the gods. So that was the whole thought process all along is that somehow we have to appease these gods and keep the gods happy. Now think about this trap that gets you in. 
We can stand back here and, and we would say today, well, we're a little wiser than that. And I'm not sure we are all that much wiser, but maybe a little bit of distance. And we can sit there and see the fallacy in that. But just think about the trap that they would put them in. They're going along, life goes good, and a drought comes, and there's no rain, and everything dries up and dies. Here's the trap. Immediately they say, oh no, what have we done? The gods are angry. So how do we buy off the gods? What are we going to do? We have to make them happy. We've got to do something. And soon, if you go back again and look in history, you'll find that what they grabbed a hold of was sacrifice. The idea that they came up with was this idea that in order to keep the gods happy, we would have to sacrifice. And sacrifice means that you give up something of great value. You give up something that you prize. You kind of hand it over. That you make the sacrifice. And in this case, order to make the gods happy. And they did that in order for them to be happy. That was the process. Keep the gods happy. Then we can have a happy life. So the idea of sacrifice was profound. And of course, if sacrifice means to give up that which is most prized to us, it didn't take long to figure out that a blood sacrifice would really be special. Giving a little grain is one thing, but giving a blood sacrifice would really make the gods happy. So again, back in history, you'll find that they practiced sacrifice of animals. Often it would be grain or, or crops that they would sacrifice, and then it moved into the realm of animals. And of course, then the thought process would be, well, what's more sacred than a blood sacrifice? Um, and not just the blood sacrifice of animals, but what's, more, what's, what's the most valuable thing? Human go back and find you'll see that they began to practice the sacrifice of humans sometimes it would be a captured enemy sometimes it would be one of their own sometimes it would be children sometimes even their own children all of this disturbing distorted view that if somehow we keep the gods appeased our life will be better keeping them happy keeping them at bay the gods have all this power of what happens in our lives so we've got to figure out what to do if it didn't rain if someone was sick if I couldn't have children all was resting in the power of the gods so how do we keep them happy how do we keep the gods appeased well good news there were priests that came along holy men witch doctors people that understood the gods and good news for the people is they came along and said, we can tell you how to appease the gods. I happen to have an in with this God or that God, and I can tell you exactly what to do that will appease the gods. As holy men, these priests would convince the people and convince the rulers and convince the kings that I know the secret. And if you will do what I tell you, and if you will follow my directions, you will keep the gods pleased and happy. And by the way... I might be happy as well. You see, that was kind of the thought process. It's kind of interesting to note if you go back and look historically that most of these holy men made a pretty good living out of getting the people to appease the gods and the appeasement of the gods usually came through the priest. Interesting connection. You know, when I'm happy, the gods seem happy. So you keep me happy and we'll work on this thing together. And that's historical. Look at it and you'll see. And perhaps some people who are in our church this morning or watching online or at North Avenue on that campus, perhaps you even walked into our church because of some of this kind of stuff. Maybe you came from a church background where you feel like you were being manipulated. Or maybe you felt like there were leaders that were promoting this, this pathway of somehow keeping God happy. And it seems like it kind of kept coming back to them being happy as well. And maybe you got a little tired of seeing what looked like hypocrisy or some kind of special nature that they possessed. And so you're looking for something else. 
Maybe you saw that hypocrisy and you said, you know what, I don't think it's supposed to be this way. Friends, it's not supposed to be that way, but it's been that way for thousands of years. And so the people would listen to them. Now, I've got to stop here real quick and do a little comparison, and you'll see how all this comes together here shortly. A little comparison to ancient Jewish worship. Because so far I've been talking about ancient people groups, but I haven't been talking about Jewish worship. And Jewish worship was, was very, very different. However, they had sacrifices as well. They had a blood sacrifice. There are some similarities there, but very, very different. They had animal sacrifices without question. But the reasons for the sacrificing of animals to the Jewish people is profoundly, profoundly different. Now, all these other people groups were separate from the Jewish people, but then here's the Jewish people, which, by the way, back then, they wouldn't have been called Jews or Israel yet. They would have been just the Hebrews, but these Hebrew people. Now, the Hebrew people, now make sure you understand this. The Hebrew people did have animal sacrifices, but radically different than the rest of the world because the Hebrew people had something that was given to them by the true and living God that no others had. They had a promise. See, the Hebrew people had been given to have a covenant. God said to the Hebrew people this. Now, make sure you understand this. This is very key. The, the God said to the Hebrew people, listen, you are going to be my people. It wasn't like they were good enough. It wasn't like they did something special. God said, you're going to be my people. He said this, I'm going to love you. No, I'm not going to love you. I love you. I will always love you. There's nothing that you can do to separate my love from you or you from my love. He said to them this, listen, you don't have to try to buy me off. You don't have to try to bribe me. You don't have to try to appease me because you already have me. You don't have to get my attention. You have my attention. I love you. I always have loved you. I will always love you no matter what. I love you and always will. I don't have bad days where I wake up and I go, ah, I just hate those people today. I mean, that might be your day tomorrow, but it's not God's day any day. He doesn't wake up and go, oh, I just hate people. No, he goes, I'm not like that. I don't have days where I lose my cool. I don't have days where I change my mind and think, well, I think I'll be mean to them today. He says, no, my promise to you is I will always love you and I'll always have your best in mind. Everything I do, everything will be to make your life good and to make your life ultimately better. And anyone who will acknowledge me as their God and will follow me, you've got me. Now, isn't that an incredible promise? Think about that. To be able to start off your day, to start off your life saying, I've got God and he's for me. As opposed to the world who said, God's against us. Anyone who will follow me, acknowledge me, they've got me. But my people, now catch this, there's a but. I know you were hoping there wouldn't be a but to it, but there is. He says, but... If you're going to be my people, you're going to look different than the rest of the world. You're going to think differently. You're going to behave differently. So God says this, I'm going to give to you a written law. It's a fair thing to say, well, what do you require of us? How do you want us to live? God says, I'll take care of that. I'm going to give you a written law that's going to how you, tell you how to behave and how to live as my people in this land that I'm going to give you, the promised land. Now, this is so key. You can go back in Deuteronomy in your leisure this afternoon and read this. But back in Deuteronomy, God says this. So you're my people. I'm going to give you this incredible land, the promised land. And as my people, I'm going to tell you exactly how you are to live and how you're to behave as my people in this incredible land. Now, if you disobey me, I will still love you. 
If you disobey me, if you throw your fist up at me, just so you know, I will always love you. That will never, never change. But there will be consequences. Go back in the story, you'll read the consequences is he threw them out of the promised land. Now, some of you say, kind of harsh. Any parent knows that's not harsh. Any parent knows that's not harsh. Because you know as your parent, when your children disobey, you say to them, I love you, I will always love you, but there's a consequence to your action. I'm taking this away because you, you've done this, not me. And if you would say, well, do you stop loving them? Of course not. You don't, be, you don't go angry on them. You don't go hateful towards them. They're not your enemy. You're disciplining them. So God says, listen, you're going to be my children. And I'm always going to love you, but you are going to behave differently. So God says, now here's how you're going to live as my people. Now, this was the most amazing thing that they would have ever seen in history up to this point because God did something incredible. This was the most amazing thing. He gives them this written law, but now catch this because this applies to us today. In this written law, yes, it talks about worshiping God and how you're gonna worship God, but the majority of the law is how you're going to treat people. Now, this is really quite phenomenal because understand something, in all these ancient religions and these little gods, they don't care anything about how you treat one another. They care about how you treat them. You know, what, what you do for the priests, what you do to keep the gods happy. They didn't care anything about taking care of other people. This is huge. They didn't care about taking others. I mean, how could you care about taking, other, take, taking care of other people when you're actually sacrificing other people? So it doesn't make sense. There's not a value on that human life. But God's law says this, it matters how you treat me, God says, and it matters how you treat other people. Not just your spouse, not just your family, not just your neighbor, not just your coworker, not even just your servants, but your enemies. It matters how you view and treat people, period. God gives them this moral law. This law taught them that they are to treat one another in a different way. Now, the law, if you go back and look, forbid the sacrificing of humans, of course. It did allow for the sacrifice of animals, but for a totally different reason. Now, God says again this, you're going to follow me, and you're going to love me, and on top of that, you're going to love people. Totally different. Now, this is critical to get. It was this law written from God that set the Hebrews apart from all the other worshipers, and in fact, it changed their approach to worship. This is very key. God's God, Israel's God, our God today has always been more concerned. Now, now we get to hone in, so listen carefully. God has always been more concerned about obedience than he is sacrifice. That was critical to the people of that day. And friends, let me tell you right now, it is critical to us. God is more concerned about our obedience than he is sacrifice. Pagan gods didn't care how you treated your wife, your spouse, your kids, or your neighbor. It was all about sacrificing to keep the gods appeased. Now think about this. God doesn't need your sacrifice to buy off his love. He doesn't need your sacrifice to somehow get him because he says, you're already starting with me. But I want you not only to love me, but you're going to love my people, the people I created. So this living God doesn't care nearly about sacrifice like the world would. He cares about obedience. Solomon, greatest person to ever live, wrote these words in Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. 
And here's what that means. God is saying through Solomon this. Friends, you can sacrifice all day long. You can sacrifice until there's nothing left to sacrifice. You can give absolutely everything you had and God says, I'm not impressed. You can give all that you want till it just hurts and hurts and hurts, but I don't care. I care about obedience. And when you disobey, I'll still love you, but your disobedience grieves me. You see, friends, Israel's sacrificial system that was in place was not to keep God happy, was not to buy his favor, but it represented something called atonement, totally different. You see, the sacrifice for atonement was not to appease God. You have to understand this word atonement. Here's what it means. At one minute. Just look at the word atonement and you quickly see at one minute. It means to take something that's been broken apart and bring it back together into one. That's atonement. Relationship that's been broken to bring them back together. And go a little deeper. The Bible definition for the word atonement means to cover. It means to cover. It means to cover something that's been bad, to cover something that's gone wrong, to cover some sin with something good in order to restore the relationship. So Jewish worship had sacrifice, but it wasn't to appease God, it wasn't to buy God off, but it was to atone for their sin. You see, they had this sin issue going on, and it included not just a sin towards God, but God did this incredible thing. He said, listen, You can offend me, but one of the key ways you offend me is when you offend my people. I mean, my creation. When you treat others badly, God says, you're sinning against me. This was totally unheard of. And friends, listen, it would be far easier for us if we only had to worry about our relationship with God, right? And we didn't have to worry about our relationships with you. (laughs) And don't worry, you can say you back right at me. Because that's where, the, that's where the battle is. And God knew that. So throughout the year in the Jewish culture, it would mean this. Regularly throughout the year, every Jewish person would make sacrifices. Sometimes of grain, sometimes of crops, sometimes of animals because of their sin, because of their disobedience. All through the year, they would do this. But then the Bible records historically once a year, there was a very important day in Jewish worship. It was called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day when all of Israel would come together. Uh, they'd come from not just all over Israel, but they'd come from around the world if they could. They'd all gather together for this moment where as a nation, they would all confess their sins before God. And the highlight of this would be this moment. The high priest representing all of the people would stand before them taking all of the sins of the people and they would bring a goat in. One of the religious leaders would bring a goat and that goat would stand there in front of the people and the high priest would take his hands and he's put his hands on the head of this goat and symbolically in front of all of the people, this was the symbol that he's taking all of the sins of the people and he's transferring that sin onto the head of this goat. Once he was done, the goat would be led out of the temple, out of the holy place, through the village, through the town, through the side streets, through the villages, as would make his way out. And the person leading the goat would take the goat out to the wilderness, to the desert. And there they would release the goat and chase it away. It's an incredible picture that the priest would give to the people, that God would give to the people to say this, your sins have been transferred to this goat. We get the word what? Scapegoat. 
the symbol of your sins all put onto this goat. And then this goat is taken out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Symbolic of God taking all of your sin and removing it, taking it completely away. And so in that moment, when that was done, here the people would be sinless for a year. And then next year. And then next year. And then next year. And you know human nature. Here's the problem with that. Just at the time where you lay your hands on the goat and they take the goat out, someone in the group sins. Bring the goat back. We got to do the whole thing over again. And just about the time you get that done, someone else sins. You had a bad thought. Don't worry, I didn't point at anybody specific. <laughs> and the guy goes, yeah, I did. Bring the goat back. But they'd be sinless for a year and then the next year and then the next year. So Jewish worship was a temporary fix for an ongoing problem, right? Sin, would you agree, is an ongoing problem. My disobedience is an ongoing problem that isn't going to go away. So Jewish worship, though, was a temporary fix. All of those animals that would be sacrificed, all of those lambs, the sheep that would be sacrificed, that goat, every one of them looked to the future, to the thing that God would have to do to somehow fix this ongoing problem. Now, again, the contrast, secular people keeping God's happy. God's people saying to God, we've grieved you and, and we're so sorry. Then the unbelievable happens. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, every year, same thing happening. And then the incredible happens. It was around the year 30 that it happened. A guy shows up seemingly out of nowhere Matthew's gospel says he came from the wilderness. It says he looked kind of tough and gruff. He spoke, he spoke, when he spoke, he sounded like a prophet. He had a pretty simple message. And his message was this. God is about to do something incredible. And most of you are going to miss it. That was his message. God is going to do something absolutely incredible, but most of you will miss it because your heart's not right. You go through all the motions, but you're missing the heart. You get all the right pieces in place, but you're missing the heart. And if you really don't want to miss what God's about to do, you need to repent and say to God, yeah, I'm sorry for going through the motions, but God, I want you to have my heart. And then he would say something really crazy. They, they'd seen it and they knew, understood it, but they'd never seen it done this way. And he would say to the people this, if you really want to repent and get your heart right with God, come join me here in the river and I'll baptize you. And of course, you know, his name is John the Baptizer. And Matthew tells us in chapter 3, the people were coming from everywhere, from Jerusalem, from Galilee, from all over Judea to hear this guy preach. And they were listening to him and they were following him and they were going and getting baptized by massive numbers because they realized that somewhere along the way they lost their heart for God. Could that be you? Somewhere along the way, they went through the motions but somewhere their heart got lost for God. I got to tell you, I think a lot of churches are filled with a lot of people, including ours, who go through the routine, but they've lost their heart for God. And then one day, it happens. In the middle of John preaching, he looks up on the horizon and he sees Jesus walking towards him. 
And he says these words in John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what John says. He says this. Do you see him? You see that guy? That guy is God's answer for our ongoing problem. That guy is the answer for my ongoing sin, for your ongoing sin. He's the answer. He is God's lamb. He's the one who came not just take my sin and your sin, but all the sin of the world. He's going to take it all upon himself. And he's going to carry it all away. Just like that goat, he's going to be our scapegoat. He's going to take all of our sin once and for all. And friends, every lamb that had been sacrificed up to that point, every one of those lambs, if you can picture this in a painful way, every one of those lambs died looking towards the cross. And for that moment when the Lamb of God would come and be the ultimate sacrifice. Years later, a writer that we don't even know who it is wrote the book of Hebrews. And here's what that writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You catch that? It's impossible for all that sacrificing to take away sin. Now, it can cover the sin. It can cover it for a little while, but it's impossible for it to take it away. And that was all true up until John said, back in verse 29, look, the Lamb of God, and look what he says, who takes away the sin of the world. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Cover it, sure, but... Here's the great surprise. If I had a message title this morning, it's the great surprise. The great surprise, after thousands of years of people sacrificing to God, God does the great reversal, the great surprise, and he says, I'm going to sacrifice so that you'll never have to sacrifice again. I'm going to take my son. He's going to be the lamb. Once slain, never to have to be slain again. No more sacrifices. For thousands of years, people had been sacrificing to their little gods to try to keep them happy. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, were sacrificing to cover their sin. And now God would make the ultimate sacrifice and say, no more, for the Lamb of God has come. And not only would he sacrifice but here's the real surprise. You see, before that, we keep sacrificing to try to, to get something or to give something to the God. Now God comes and says, I'm going to sacrifice. And in turn, I'm going to give to you what? Forgiveness, hope, peace, freedom. How about the removal of guilt? I'm going to give to you freedom and joy. And in that moment, he offers people like me, people who have a long history of sin, to fit right in 
in the family of God and enjoy a relationship with a holy God. In one afternoon, Jesus died on the cross. The last act of atonement that would ever need to take place. God solved my ongoing problem, sin. God solved your ongoing problem, sin. And he solved the ongoing problem of the world, and that is sin. In following those three days, on a Sunday morning in Jerusalem, Christian worship would never be the same again. Worship would never be the same. No more sacrificing, no more atoning, no more appeasing. But now we come together like this gathering. We come together to remember for what he did for us. We come together to celebrate for what he gave to us. But don't forget this last piece. We also come to submit to what God wants to do in us. You see, friends, Christian worship doesn't end with our worship service. The opposite is the place. The worship service is, in fact, the, re the reflection of all of our lives together and how we walk with God daily. We're going to end our service this morning with communion. You can find your communion cup there and get ready. For those of you who are watching at North Avenue, I'm going to turn the service over to, to uh, Pastor Matt, and he is going to take you from this point through communion. And my prayer for you is that you'll share communion there. You'll have this incredible awareness of the presence of God. For those of us here that, at Essex, those who are watching online, you continue with us. Find your cup if you have it. Don't do anything with it quite yet. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to do it now. It's a simple but powerful prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I will follow you. Thank you for loving me and for never stopping to love me. I would also suggest to those of us who might be followers of Christ, if you've not taken a good look at your own life, you know, we have this ongoing problem called sin, and though he's taking care of the penalty, we still have this battle. And if you've not taken time to reflect at your own life, that maybe the sin that you've let go, maybe a relationship you've never made right, that maybe in this moment as well, you might say, hey, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for always loving me and never stopping. I got some areas in my life I need to make right, and maybe in this moment, you would make those right. Let me offer a prayer. Father, we come to this moment of uh, communion. I recognize this morning that many people will take communion and not necessarily be in communion with you. So I pray that you'll do your work through the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment, that this would not be just another thing that we go through, but our hearts would be right with you. Lord Jesus, there are some people that have never given their life to you that maybe just now, in a moment ago, they just did. And perhaps even now, they're still debating it. Might they just surrender and say, I want you. I ask you to forgive them, and you will. Make them whole and change their life. There are some of us, perhaps, that have some bad relationships with people. Maybe this morning we wouldn't even take communion until we go and make that right because your, your word tells us that it now matters. Our relationships with other people matter. Lord Jesus, as we'll share in the bread and share in the cup, remind us again of your great love for us. Bless this time in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you have your little cup, if you'll peel just off just the top piece, that little plastic piece that will expose this little wafer. It's hard to believe that this little wafer actually ties us back thousands of years to the Lord's Supper. Now, quite honestly, friends, if you're here and you're using this little disposable cup, it's, you look at how far we've come in this little disposable cup and to think that this ties us back to the Lord's Supper, but it does. Different means, perhaps, but this little wafer represents Jesus Christ, and he said these words, for I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you. That's the Apostle Paul, and here's what Jesus said. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share together. And if you'll take that second little tab and pull that back on your little cup. The scripture tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Share together. I'm gonna ask you to stand and we'll offer a prayer together. Oh, Father, thank you for sending your son. I think of the thousands of lambs, of bulls, sacrificed through thousands of years, all with their head looking to the cross. I think of John the Baptist looking and saying, behold, there's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my sin giving me new life and new hope. Thank you for every one of us for this new hope that we have in you. As we leave this day, might we be as gracious to others as you are so gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you here on your way out, if you wouldn't mind taking your little cup with you and there's trash cans on the way out, God bless you. Have a great day.